I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving it scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rafinha first goal for Leeds United of the podcast, arrowing past the despairing short arms of Jordan Pickford. And I'm joined by Joe Hill, the Calvin Phillips sprayed crossfield ball of the podcast, dipping, swerving, unnervingly accurate. And finally, the four big chances missed of the podcast. The man who breaks all the statistical models, it's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad I'm the four big chances, actually. Although although they were missed, it does it does indicate that there's a level of creativity to what I do. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to enjoy that and take that as a win this week. <laughs> what you're saying is eventually you'll come up with the goods. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Joe Hill, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm absolutely brilliant. It's fantastic waking up, looking at the table, looking at the highlights and re- uh, reading all the interviews. It's just a, a brilliant feeling when you've won, especially when there's other games to play, because you can just sit back and watch it all unfold and not really give a shit what what happens the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, the first question we always ask is, how did that feel? And uh, the impression I'm getting for you is it felt pretty good. Darren, how did it feel for you? Yeah, it, fe- it felt... It felt good afterwards, but um, I, I I can't say that I actively enjoyed it. I, I mean, I never actively enjoy watching Leeds play. Um, although I, I thought we were playing very well, um, I found the whole experience rather stressful. And I, I kind of uh, I like a quiet one nil win, and this was a very rowdy one nil win. It felt like to me there was a lot lot too much too much going the other way for my for my taste. But there are reasons for that, which I'm sure we'll get into in in due course. I am a very much a counterfactual kind of guy. Um, so I wonder what the two of you think this interview would look like had we actually run out losing that game or not winning it. Um, Joe, how would you feel about the game? How would that have coloured your opinion of, of what went on? I mean, the game was really entertaining. Um, even if it was to stay at nil-nil, it was sort of similar to the Arsenal game in that sense. Um, after the game, I was just thinking... We've played 10 games now in the Premier League and every single one has been fantastic to watch. Um, 
and that's that's what Bielsa goes for, isn't it? When he's when he's creating his tactics and when he's thinking about how to play, he he just does it for the fans and he wants it to be entertaining for them. So I think I like to think that even if it had been nil nil, I still would have been pretty happy. I think had we lost, you know, obviously I'm never really happy if we lose, but the entertainment is still there. We still created lots of great chances and. I think it's just fantastic to watch Leeds play like this against top opposition, really. Did you have anything to say on that, Darren? Only that I've been on here twice after 4-1 defeats and been very positive, so I don't see why this would have been any different. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any sense in which we thought maybe that it was too open? I don't know whether or not you guys felt um, that the game lacked control. It's very different, isn't it, from last season, right, Where, where everything was about total domination and control, maintaining possession, winning the ball back quickly when we lost it, and then the questions being asked of whether or not we were going to be creative enough. Uh, Darren, how do you feel about this new look Leeds United where um, I think someone described it in one of the questions actually as as being like a beautiful horror film where you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, How do you feel about that aspect of the game? I agree entirely with that description. Um, I I felt like the changes that we made during the game um, were designed to give us back that control to be honest so particularly the one with uh, where we moved Rafinha from from the right side to the left hand side I felt that made us less creative but it did put us more in control of the game at times so um, yeah I mean I kind of yeah I was watching through my fingers at, at various points and 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 particularly with the the, the goals that they had chalked off um, I, I still feel overall we, we we did control the game but I think they've they've got three really good players up top uh, and, and a kind of really solid base on which everything else is built on. Um, and to be honest, I was grateful that they didn't have Dina playing because I think he would have caused us a lot more problems than Iwobi did. Um, but but overall, you know, I, I did feel we were in control for most of it. It was just that in individual moments, we, we did cede a bit of control, particularly there were a couple of times in transition where it looked quite quite hairy, I think. Sophie Levine says, my question is how bloody good are Leeds? Um, I think it's, a, it's a good question. I know, I know obviously it's... Um uh, tongue-in-cheek it's a rhetorical question as we're told when we're at school but um how good are Leeds do we do we think it's been what we 10 games into the season now and it's it's been a bit of a smorgasbord of of different uh offerings hasn't it in terms of uh the culinary d- delights that are on display um Joe how do you how how do you rank Leeds now 10 games into the season that's an interesting question because, like you say, it has been really up and down. There's been some games, you know, the two four ones in a row where you just think, what's going on? How can Bielsa fix this? Is there just a blueprint to beat us? And then we followed that up with two clean sheets in a row and we, sh- we should have beat Arsenal and we great got a great result against Everton. So I think at the moment we're still in the phase, for me, of there's a couple of things that we can improve on such as keeping more clean sheets. Um, and if we if we do keep playing the way we have in the past couple of games, then I think Leeds will be a really solid side this year. It's just whether we can keep that up against the teams that are going to sit back because, you know, I'm thinking about playing Spurs at some point. I just can't see anything but getting destroyed by them on the counter-attack by Kane and Son. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too ahead of myself and I don't want to get too down when we've when we've lost two games in a row. So I think at the moment it's sort of, I'm happy with our performances and sort of middle of the road for me. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We had a question from Montag, actually, quite 
perceptive one, I thought, because uh, they said on paper, games like Arsenal, home and Everton away look like free hits that won't define our season. But given the way that lower teams will play against us, defensive counter-attacking, uh, are the free hits actually the most important? Um, and I think that's a good question, Darren. It feels as though games like this against Everton, like, yes, it could have gone either, either way, but it does feel as though these are the games that are going to define our season, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of disagree with the idea that games against Arsenal and Everton are free hits, actually, because I think that the, the, the free hits that, that I would kind of consider would be games against Liverpool and, and City and prob- potentially um, potentially Spurs, because I think they are absolutely designed to kill us. But um, other than that, I, think, I, I don't think Everton are that great. I think they're decent. I don't think Arsenal are that great. I think they're decent. And there's absolutely no reason why we can't come out and give sides like that a really good game. Um, so I kind of try and try and avoid the, the idea that any any game is a, fr- a free hit, really, other than the ones I've mentioned. Because I think I think they, you know, we've we've got four points out of those those two games, and they will be essential to us crawling away, f- keeping away from that that bottom end. If we can keep picking up points against teams between, I don't know. 14th and 7th you know that kind of that kind of area we need to be picking points up against those teams in order to to kind of stay strong in the league and not not start to worry about relegation trouble yes yeah, I, I do think there's a there's an element to the fact that we play quite a different style of football to everyone else in the league yeah. that makes it quite hard to judge where we're at I mean on paper beating a team like Everton who came out of the blocks quite quickly in the in the league this season um, and drawing with Arsenal looked quite good on the other hand, I think getting hammered by Leicester and especially Crystal Palace looked quite bad. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that the, it's it is quite tricky to actually assess the teams that are going to um, cause us problems and and the the teams that we're actually going to do quite well against. Um, and I think yeah, I think it's fun. It's funny, isn't it? Because it feels like the fan base were really buoyant yesterday, uh, rightly yeah. so. But after two losses against Leicester City I felt like the fan base under Bielsa is one of the lowest moments really um, yeah. and that was reflected in like our listening figures and the you know, engagement we had in in uh, uh, some of our social media channels it, it, it's, it's really interesting how that sort of thing can can impact the way that we um, view the view the uh, game. Well, I guess fundamentally, there's, there's, there were, you know, there, there were obviously differences in the scoreline and in, and in the relative look that we had in each box, particularly against Palace. But actually, there weren't that many differences in in our approach in terms of the way we attack the game, in terms of the, the style of football that we tried to play. Mm. And in th- in that sense, we're very consistent. It's just it's just whether we are able to kind of make the differences in either box as as we were just about yesterday to kind of to get to get the result. And it depends whether you think the result is the most important thing. Um, mm. Because I think I think in the in the Premier League I think in the Championship obviously we were, we were in a situation where there was enormous pressure to win every single week and in mm. the Premier League there isn't there isn't that we're not expected to win every single week so I think to an extent we can just kind of enjoy it and I think to kind of go back to Sophie's question at the start although I don't think we're the best most effective team in the league there certainly isn't another team I'd rather watch mm. I, I think I think we're incredible incredible entertainment and incredible to watch so I think from that point of view I'd, you know if we're going to finish 11th 12th 13th or whatever um, I'd rather do it trying to win games than trying to shut up shop like Steve Bruce would hmm. yeah no of course just one other thing to say on that in terms of us looking maybe or being hard to judge interesting that we allowed Everton to put up much higher xg against us than we allowed Crystal Palace <coughs> to who scored four um in the Crystal Palace game, the, the sorts of questions we were getting were about defensive openness. Yeah, we've had no questions really about defensive openness 
yesterday, even though I think defensively we're probably more open than we were against Palace, weirdly. Um, so again, that's another, uh, that's another sort of optical illusion that, that Leeds United presents us with. Yeah, well, Everton certainly caused us a lot more problems than Palace did through 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 their own play. But equally, we we managed to create a lot. We managed to turn our possession into a lot more chances than we did against Palace. So it kind of balanced itself out. Something that we didn't have many questions about actually was set pieces. A lot of the chances that we gave away came from set pieces, and no one's really talked about that. And yeah. the same was true, obviously, against Palace. The difference was was that Palace scored their free kicks, they scored their corners, um, and and then we got game stated. But we're getting beyond ourselves. Um, talking about uh, again teams and the way that we match up against teams. Another really interesting question from Joe Mitchell, who said a lot of tactical stuff passes over my head, and I just enjoy matches or don't. But I noticed how you were very worried about playing three four three. So I'm interested to hear a bit of a breakdown and why you think it worked today versus didn't before. Uh, I think it's a it's a good question. Um, what I would say before we get into this discussion is it's important to remember that um, Everton. This was only the second time that Everton played three four three under Ancelotti. Um, they didn't really play it much before that either. And they were playing uh, Alex Awobi and uh, variously Tom Davis and Abdullah Decore as, as wingbacks. Yeah. Um, this wasn't the most dangerous 3-4-3 we could possibly have faced. Um, but in terms of why I talk about 3-4-3 um, being dangerous for us to face is because in the 3-4-3 you get a really nice pressing structure. I've talked about it in some of our uh, tactics videos, uh, video analyses. Um, both Leicester and Wolves do this really well. So what you end up with is because you have an, you have two outside centre backs, obviously you have two wing backs, you have two central mid- midfielders, one on each side, and then you have two outside forwards, and they form a sort of rhombus on either side. And it's really easy to press teams out wide with that pressing with with that um, defensive structure. Um, and what a lot of teams who've caused us problems have done is pressed um, us deep and wide and then look to counterattack from those situations. Um, Everton didn't really do it yesterday, um, so they didn't really cause us any problems. They're also um, mid-block side, really, so um, they're looking to to engage maybe around the halfway line, whereas I think Chris, particularly Crystal Palace, who just sort of, even though they played 4-4-2 or 4-3-3 or however it works out, but defensively in a 4-4-2, they, they just sit a little bit deeper, they look to... Um, break you down in wide areas which is I think where we get a lot of our creativity from and and then they look to decompress really quickly from there so um, the 3-4-3 is worrying when it's played by a team like Wolves or Leicester who are maybe yeah. a little bit more defensively minded um, when it's being used in the mid block I, I think it kind of loses its its edge a little bit um, I think that Everton are trying to play that at the moment because they realise that Luca Dina is um, probably the best outlay to Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the three four three allows him to play as a wing back and get forward a little bit more. Um, obviously, he wasn't playing yesterday, so it didn't work quite so well. I was a little bit surprised actually that they came out in the three four three, and they did switch to a four four two at the end. But um, that that's just by way of explanation. But let's get let's jump into um, actually what was going on on the pitch. We had a lot of questions about what was going on with the the, the tactics on the left hand side. Uh, uh, Tommy Oladipo said what was going on with Alioski and. Dallas's positioning they seem to pop up at different areas on the pitch we had about four or five iterations of this question but um, who wants to jump in on this one who wants to talk about what was going on I kind of viewed it as um, it's really interesting because I kind of viewed it as a hybrid between our 3-3-1-3 formation and our 4-1-4-1 formation so the left hand side was kind of set up in a similar way that we do in the threes 
Um, so that because I think we we are aware that Everton generally try and build up down the right hand side. So I think we wanted to make sure that we had numerical superiority over there and try and force them into the middle where they don't have as much creativity. And then on on the on our right hand side, we we were just kind of up against. Um, in the first half, uh, Iwobi and and uh, Richarlison, and I think um, so. I think I think Bielsa wasn't as worried about about it down that side because uh, they generally don't build up down there. They broke down that side quite a few times. Interesting, that caused us quite a few problems. But um, I think I think it was nothing more complex than that. It was just a matter of trying to make sure that Evan couldn't couldn't get into their flow down the build up. So we used we used a structure which we're used to. Uh, down that side and similarly on the right hand side um, we, we were able to, to just stick to our four one four one kind of setup. Yeah it was interesting wasn't it because it feels as though we usually we usually overload on the right and this time we were overloading on the left yeah um, and I think that that goes towards answering the questions a lot of the questions about why we switched um, Harrison and Rafinha as well but Joe did you have anything to add on this how did you find um, the structure yet yesterday? In terms of Alioski and da- Alioski and Dallas, I thought um, a lot of it was to just from the man marking system that we play. Yeah. So Alioski was marking Davis and Dallas was marking Rodriguez. So they were just following them all around the pitch, which is why sometimes it might have looked a bit of a, of a mess. Um, and another thing is that I noticed that Dallas and Alioski were just covering for each other. In the left yep. back area, we um, anyone who watches Liverpool will see James Milner do this a lot, which is when he drops into the left back position and shoes Robertson right up the pitch, um, and ju- just a bit a bit of rotation basically, and and to allow Robertson to really get up the pitch. And I thought it was the same thing. I noticed that a couple of times yesterday with Dallas dropping in, it really allowed Alioski to get up the left hand side and um, create a threat from an attacking point of view. And I actually really liked that sort of interchange between the two of them I thought it was really effective yesterday. It's interesting that you mentioned the the Rafinha Harrison swap John because I see that as as nothing more complicated than trying to put Harrison uh, out on that side to stop Iwobi breaking forward because in the first 20 minutes Iwobi broke forward quite a few times I watched the game again this morning and I think I made notes of three different breaks before the 18th minute where Iwobi had broken forward and you could hear our bench absolutely screaming at Rafinha to try go back with him and he just wasn't doing it so I think I think it was just uh, just as simple as trying to put Harrison there because he's more diligent in terms of his defensive work I think that's definitely a part of it yeah um, I also think that given that we had that overload on the left hand side it meant that the player on the left was encouraged to go a little bit more central Um, I always think the best way of a lot of people ask us questions that are sort of like always use the word positioning which I think is interesting because um, I think that sort of tends to indicate that we think about things in a zonal way. So people think, why, which position is this person playing? Yeah. Um, and then why sometimes are they not in that position? Um, whereas I think I've said this before on the podcast, I, I think the, the the language of roles is really interesting. So if we, if we think about the, posi- <laughs> the, the defensive structure in terms of the man marking system, that explains where players are um, when we're out yeah. of possession. And then you have to think about the roles in possession so you'll see for example Dallas um invert inverted quite a bit yesterday um and so he would come he was he was the player who would largely <clears throat> come in inside with with the ball Alioski would push long and you could either have the the attacking player on the left either very wide or yeah. very um central and it, it again it just seems to be that it, it seems to be a sort of bit of an an, an ad hoc um, arrangement you, where you're responding to the positions that the other players are in. 
Um, but it's certainly that's certainly different from anything we've seen before, and I think is going to be interesting to see if we use that again against um, three four threes. But I think the basis of it was simply Hamas Rodriguez is Everton's most dangerous player. We're going to get Dallas to yeah. to man mark him, and rather than because we know that Rodriguez is going to drop inside, we don't want to leave the left back area free. So what we'll do is we'll overload on that area, and then Alioski can can track the wing back into the into that space, and then we can have one of the one of the wide forwards dropping in as well so I thought it was really interesting it was definitely the one of the more interesting um, um, systems that we've seen so far and I think really indicative of how much faith Bielsa has now Um, one of the things that we talked about a lot last season was how through Bielsa's time at Leeds we've gone from playing very very rigid formations to like what we play now which is just remarkably fluid like we would never have played anything like that in Bielsa's first season because he just no. didn't trust people to do that um so lots of really fascinating things going on there um we had a few questions sort of um following on from this about the structure um so Arnie B says serious question Marcelo Bielsa has started both Dallas and Alioski in the last two games is that to give us a double pivot option we haven't let a goal in so is it it, it is working at that end at least um so Tom uh, sorry, Joe. How would you answer that? It's an interesting question. I'm I'm not necessarily sure if I can see Bielsa playing a double pivot um, for for a whole game anytime soon. Because I think Phillips was. We've not mentioned Phillips yet, and I'm sure we will later. But Phillips was incredible in the single pivot role yesterday, and um, I think I don't think we needed anyone else in that area. To be honest, I think he was just dictating the play from there. Um, obviously, Dallas and Alioski are so versatile; they can both play in various dif- different positions. You know, Bielsa said in the press conference a few weeks ago that he sees Alioski as a number eight, as like a third backup for a number eight, third or fourth, which is really interesting. Um, so I guess like like you were saying, John, it's just about the, the flexibility that they both offer us, um, not necessarily to be in that position, but just to be able to change roles and fill the gaps for each other and just rotate and be really creative in what they do. The inauspicious Tom Woodhead, who you'll often hear on this very podcast, uh, asked the question of can we build a team around how uh, Alioski's first half role? Let me ask, I'm going to say this again. Can we build a team around Alioski's first half role from here on in? Is there any way we can somehow have both Alioski in that role and Ailing as the right centre back in a three? Does midfield even exist? So, um, yeah, no surprises that we ended up at the existential with Tom. But <laughs> Darren, what's, what's your thoughts about about this whole structure of using both Dallas and Alioski? It's an interesting one because I, I think that the reason we're playing both Dallas and Alioski at the moment is, is not really so much to, to do with them I think it's as much to do with getting click into more advanced positions because I think that I think that um he's really obviously kind of the number one midfielder and I think that he's kind of really nailed down the more advanced eight role in the last couple of games because he's he's creating a lot of chances he's causing a lot of problems for other teams um so I I think if we had another an obvious other eight who could play the more the, the more box to box role, then then one of them would be playing there. But but um, I think it, I think it really is about trying to find a way to get click into the more advanced role. And I think that also kind of connects to the questions that we'll answer later about Rodrigo. Because I, I think I think it's as much to do with um, Bielsa wanting click in the advanced position as it as it is to do with not wanting Rodrigo in the team. Yeah, just looking as well, looking forward to the fixtures we've got coming up. I think. Um, you've got to remember that a lot of the teams that we've played recently have been th- teams that have played either three four three or a, or a four four two, which hasn't really yeah. suited 
um, some of the, the some of the structures that we usually play. Um, so I, I think it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how we line up against Chelsea because I think against Chelsea um, we they're, they're going to play I think a four three three, looking at their past um, record, and I think that will just put us back into a bog standard four one four one. And obviously Chelsea aren't going to be doing anything interesting tactically. Uh, I don't think so. Um, it will be interesting to see what we whether or not we just go back to that four 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 one four one with um, Al- Ailing and Dallas as as fullbacks, and then I guess standard uh, wide players, and then and, and maybe moving someone into the eight, probably bringing Rodrigo back in as well. And I think this this a lot of questions about how Rodrigo fits into the team, but I, I think so much of this comes down to the fact that um, it the, the the structure just worked out this way to make it um, easier for us to play those two today Uh, I don't think this is going to become a a regular um, site for for Leeds but yeah who knows like we the the 3-4-3 is becoming more and more prevalent so um, um, I guess watch this space Um, right moving on to the second half then not really much happened I didn't think we had a question from Brunei Edvarsson He said, what happened in the 65th minute after Everton made some changes and Leeds altered their formation? Seemed we played three at the back then. I had a look this morning. um, What did you make of that? Because the only real change that I noticed was they went to 4-4-2 just after we scored the goal. So in about the 80th minute. Yeah, so from about 67, 68 minutes, they actually went... went before they went to a four four two, they went to a three five two, and they pushed Richarlison more up, advanced uh, along just behind uh, Calvert Lewin, and that's that's why we went to the three, and it was just about keeping the man marking structure there. Was, and and that was just Ailing dropping in a bit. Yeah, Ailing dropped Ailing dropped into to the right centre back role, um, and then everybody pushed out from from there. And, and actually, we we still kind of kept that numerical uh, superiority on the on the left hand side, and and tried you know kind of really tried to make sure that we killed the game down that side um so it it became a, a kind of lopsided it was like a lopsided three three one three yeah yeah it, it was pretty fluid all the way through the game there was times when we looked like a back a back three with Koch as the right center back Cooper in yeah. the middle and then Dallas as the outside right center back, uh, left center back as well so it, it definitely became fluid and there was a period around the 75th minute where basically Richarlison and um uh, Hammers switched sides, yep. um, and it was very odd because in possession Dallas played as a left back, but out of possession he then tracked Richarlison to the other side of the field, yep. rather than just ailing and and Dallas switching defensive uh, responsibilities. So there's there's certainly um, there's certainly some. I think I, I think basically Ancelotti was trying to upset the the Leeds man marking system and. Um, yeah, didn't really work, but um, I yeah, I certainly think that there's enough fluidity in in the system for it to uh, appear. I mean, you could argue that we played with three at the back at, at times throughout the first half as well. Yeah. Um, and like you said, actually, I, I do think it was almost like we were playing a three three one three with with Dallas as the as the outside centre back, and then Alioski and um, and I guess whoever was playing, I guess Harrison once he made the sh- shift, playing almost as an outside. Uh, as wing backs in in that classic sense of the term, so yeah, yeah, it was there was there was a lot going on, but as we've said, so much of this comes down to the fact that um, we um, we we play very fluid systems that are responsive to the way that the opposition structured themselves. Um, Joe, is Rodrigo too good to be sitting on the bench? How would you get him into the side? That's a question from Matt Duncan. 
I have to say, at, at times yesterday, I was thinking time to get Rodrigo on. You know, the classic 60 minutes, 65, 70 comes round, and I'm thinking it probably is time to get him on because he was fantastic when he came on against Arsenal. He had those two shots that hit the bar, or one of them nearly hit the bar. Um, but obviously, Bielsa knows better than me, and he, he seemed to think the system was working well as it is. Um, I think there's the obvious change you can do if you wanted to get him into the side, which is swap him out for Alioski. Um, and just have Dallas in his normal role and then Rodrigo playing a number 10. So I don't think it's that there isn't a place for him in this side. I think um, for whatever reason, Bielsa just decided that yesterday wasn't the time for him. But equally, we could just see him start against Chelsea um, because that's what Bielsa's like. He can just change his mind freely about the about the lineups. I don't think he necessarily feels any loyalty towards starting Alioski in the next game because he played well this game. I think um, it's just to do with the, the opposition that we're facing. So I think yesterday I was calling for him to come on, but, um, you know, that's just what happened yesterday and any, any game could be completely different. Yeah, it did feel as though the, the previous game, uh, the Arsenal game, Rodrigo wasn't playing because he'd obviously missed 10 days of training or something. Yesterday, it felt to me more as though it was a tactical decision. I mean, and, and that's highlighted by the fact that, one, Rodrigo played a full 90 minutes with the under-23s uh, on the Monday after the Arsenal game. Uh, and two, the fact that he only came on in the 90-plus-one minute um, of, of the game yesterday. Um interesting to see Bamford quite upset about being brought off in injury time I thought I don't know if anyone had any thoughts on that um I noticed that when when Alioski had been sent through and he kind of put that chance wide which was offside I noticed Bamford absolutely blew his top at him um at that moment in time and it was just after that that it was pulled off so I, I wonder whether he was still chuntering about that and chuntering a bit about being pulled off and chunt- yeah, I think it was, a, it was a combination of factors I don't really read anything into it no 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 I don't read into anything either I just found it kind of interesting um because it's not very Bamford like really to be annoyed about coming off in that sense but I think if Bamford scored yesterday he would have equaled Thierry Henry's record of scoring in five the first five away games or something so it wouldn't be unlike Bamford just to have that on his mind just because he wanted to to break that record so it's probably just um, some annoyance with that but I don't really have a problem with someone um, being upset about taking off because it just shows that they want to play every game and they're passionate you know yeah no totally agree ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, let's move on to 
talk about the attacking and the defensive side of the game. So I decided we should, we, we've been going with defensive side of the game more recently. Um, weirdly, we had way more questions about the defensive side of the game than the attacking side of the game. Uh, maybe that's because we're just happy with the way that we're attacking at the moment. But um, let's start with the attacking side of the game. So Rehan Gulam Hussain said, is there anything wrong with our attacking play and the chances we're making or is it just terrible luck? The chances look good, but is there any stats to back this up or contradict it? Well, we created many great chances yesterday um Harrison's one in the first 10 minutes it must have been that was yeah that was huge Bamford's one sort of five minutes after that uh, you know he he got it on target but um I still thought he could have finished that um Click had two either side of half time just sort of one was two minutes before one was two minutes after he's inside the box only just but um and they just both go wide um, and they're on his right foot. I'm thinking that's got to hit the target. So I'm not sure it's that we're not creating the, the chances necessarily. We, we know we're creating the chances. And I think it's just the, the classic thing that we've seen for the last two and a half years now is that um, maybe that's something that's more instinctive, finishing. Bielsa can teach them how to play uh, in an incredible system and how to use their brains effectively. But maybe finishing is just one of those instinctive things that in the moment it takes a certain type of player to um, convert those chances. So I think um, any any other game, like you never know how the luck is that we could be three nil up in the first ten fifteen minutes. I think we were just a bit unlucky yesterday. In my more cynical moments, I've referred to this as Dallas's law, which is that the ball will always fall to the last person that you want to have it in the situation that it's in. But actually, I think that's quite unfair because thinking through it, you know, Click Click has obviously not been finishing well in the last few games. Uh, Bamford, we all know his struggles. Um, and then you're, you're talking like Alioski, Harrison, they're both missing big chances. I mean, Alioski's chance at the end was massive. Helda Costa's chance. I have yeah. no idea how he didn't just hit that first. He's, he, he takes a touch on his left foot and then he is left footed. And then, I mean, just surely just pass that into the net um, yeah. first time. Um, so maybe it's unfair to refer it to it as Dallas's law, but it does feel it does feel as though we need someone. And, and maybe this is why we need Rodrigo on, on the field, because I feel as though some of these chances fall to him. Um, he's not gonna. He's not gonna miss them. Although, having said that, I mean the Helder Costa chance. I do think came from a miss hit shot from him. But we'll, uh, maybe, maybe we're just all naff at finishing. We've talked about finishing till the cows come home on this podcast. So uh, I don't want to get into that again. But I would say there's nothing wrong. We're creating massive chances, and um, it's just a matter of. I mean, we started off the season with Bamford finishing everything. Um, now we've now we've gone through a period of everyone missing everything. So um, yeah, thank goodness for Rafinha. That's all I can. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after the Leicester game and after the Palace game, I was a little bit worried because we weren't making those sorts of chances. We weren't making as many big chances as we made against Arsenal and against against uh, Everton. So I'm I'm just I'm sort of glad to see the return of making loads of chances but missing them in a way because if you, you know I guess if you're missing if you're creating the chances that th- they will go in eventually as we've seen over the, over the last two years. The only other questions I have in the attacking section now are questions about Rodrigo, but I feel as though we've talked about that. Is there anything? attacking-wise, that we could maybe talk about that we, we haven't mentioned here? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about Rafinha in the build-up play because mm-hmm. I, I think he's I think he's our most effective winger in terms of supporting build-up and, and actually I think he... Although he doesn't do it the, in, the, in the same way as, as Pablo Hernandez did when he was playing on the right-hand side, but I think his, his tendency to drift in, his tendency to find space, his tendency to look for um, probably high-risk 
but high value passes um, really reminded me of some of the things that Pablo does. So I just I just think yeah he scored the goal and he, and he was involved in in the final third quite a bit yesterday. But but his his kind of build up play is is really something special. I think yeah totally agree with that. Let's move on to the defensive side of the game then. Um, interesting question from JP. Have we defended better against Arsenal and Everton or has the way they played against us played to our strengths? Uh, Joe, what do you reckon? I think we're starting to see a pattern emerging, um, which is that Leeds play quite well against teams that sit in a mid-block Um we can do okay against the teams that really press us. Um, I'm thinking about Liverpool and Man City. You know, they were they were great end to end games, but um, and then equally against a low block against teams that just really sit like um, Leicester and Wolves. They're sort of our kryptonite. So um, I'm not sure it's that we necessarily defended better. I mean, I, I suppose we might have done, but I think it's more just to do with that uh, both Arsenal and Everton sit in a mid block, which is sort of perfect for us because it means they're not packing all 11 men behind the ball at all times they're just, but they're sort of coming out against us and willing to attack and then we can expose those spaces that they leave behind I don't think we defended better against Arsenal or Everton than we did against any other team I think Arsenal were very unambitious but when they when they did try and come at us, we we actually gave up some big chances, notably the one where Melier had to make the big save. Um, and against, I think I think we were quite porous actually at times yesterday, and and it was it was a combination of you know factors. I think I think Everton did catch us in transition quite a few times yesterday, and um, I think any time you come up against Hamez or um, certainly sometimes Richarlison, you, you're going to give up chances, and I think that's part of it. But I I I thought yeah, I, I don't think we were any better. Uh, in the last two games, and we were in the two where we conceded four necessarily. I do think that there is like a result bias that that comes into play on these things. Where if we win a game, we defended well and we attacked well, and everything's rosy. And if we lose yeah. a game, we defended terribly, we attacked terribly, etc. And maybe there's a nugget of truth in in some of that, but I do think a lot of the time it just comes down to the fact that. You know, sometimes we take take our chances, and and other times, you know, when we don't, we we can get game stated because we do we are going to give our big chances in the game. I mean, even yesterday, uh, Melier dug us out of a few holes. He had to make a few full length saves more than I would uh, care to to admit. And we had a two two goals, obviously chalked off as you mentioned before. Um, which yeah, you know they they were chalked off because they were illegal, but you know they were offsides. And you have no idea what would have happened if Ben Godfrey wasn't on the line. And you have no idea what would have happened if James Rodriguez was slightly, well, onside. It, yeah. it would have, you know, the, the reason why those goals were disallowed wasn't because we were defending great. It was because various things happened. So, yeah, I think it's always good to, that's why I'm a kind of counterfactual guy. I like to think, you know, if that goal goes in and, and that or that one doesn't go in, like how do we think about the game? Um, if, even if it, almost exactly the same thing happened, if, if Jordan... Pickford had longer arms and saved saved um, Rafinha's shot. How would we be looking back on this game? I just think obviously it doesn't matter because we won and we've got the points and that's another big step towards staying safe in the Premier League. But um, it is always useful, I think, to just look at it in that way. Is Calvin Phillips the best player in the world or just Europe? Asks Mark Wilford. I thought Calvin Phillips was really interesting yesterday because I I agree with what Joe said earlier. He did play absolutely superbly. I, I think the one the one 
kind of minor note of caution that I would play is that the, the games in which Phillips has struggled has been when there's been a number 10 who's been ta- tasked with marking him throughout and or has been very good at cutting off the supply to him. And that just simply didn't happen yesterday because because of Everton's mid-block. So it meant that he, he was able to pick up the ball in lots of space and able to, to kind of find the range of passes that we know he's got within him, which isn't to, to kind of say that he didn't play well because he did. I thought defensively he was really good. I thought he was absolutely superb. So, yeah, I thought it was it was a strong one for him, but I think it was the sort of game in which I'd expect him to perform well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic game from him yesterday. Um, for anyone that didn't see, I wanted to mention that I think it was Graham Souness that was saying <laughs> that Phillips needs to score more goals um, to get that to get that into his game to become the the all round best uh, CDM and obviously um, I completely disagree and I strongly encourage Graham Souness to look Fuck up. off sorry <laughs> well that too I was I was going for the more polite okay. do some research on defensive midfielders but um, yeah fuck off works too <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed that Graham Souness managed to stop talking about Paul Pogba's haircut for long enough to uh, t- to talk about anything else to be honest so the the moral of this story is always make sure you mute the pre-game commentary that's what I do it served me well yeah I, I just mute, mute it until it starts and then uh, Mute it as soon as it stops, and don't listen to the halftime stuff either. Yeah, Calvin had a had a really good game yesterday. Um, my Calvin Phillips theory, my cynical Calvin Phillips theory, is that people rate him depending on how many crossfield pingers he puts in in the game. So um, he his passing yesterday was remarkable. It was very very good. Um, I mean his passing his passing statistics were really high, um, which was. I, I, again, we've we've mentioned how I think against Everton, they he probably in terms of his mid range passing, like they gave him plenty of space, plenty of time. He's not making that many crossfield balls if they don't give him that amount of time. Um, but that said, he, he barely put any of uh, any of them wrong. There was I think he misplaced two passes, and they were probably long um, long crossfield ball passes. And the rest of the rest of it, he did well. I do I I didn't think he was as good defensively as you did, Darren, but. I also don't think he was bad defensively, and I think my frustration here comes from the fact that when we when we lost to Crystal Palace, um, all of our questions had been, "Oh, Pascal Stroke yeah. hasn't played well. We got overrun in midfield," and I think it's unfair because the, you know the game yesterday was no different really to what Pascal Stroke did. He, even he he didn't put in as many good uh, long crossfield balls as, as, as Calvin obviously uh, but we've talked at length about why they're different players um, and so I think I just maybe get a little bit defensive because I kind of feel as though you know he did he did enough he did he was fine um, but he's like any you put anyone in that situation and they're going to get dribbled around all the time because yeah. there's one of you in yeah, midfield yeah, yeah. Um, and it's your job is simply to slow things down force them out wide basically um, and I, I actually do think that that um, uh, Strauch doesn't really get um, doesn't really get commended for, for actually I think being doing that doing that quite well. My only other criticism of Phillips is that I want to see him, and th- this isn't a criticism. This is this is a well, it's a constructive criticism in that I do think that there are situations that he gets in where he could put more dangerous balls in, um, in terms of more penetrative passes, and um, I know that you know we we even against Arsenal I noticed that. There was a lot of criticism of Robin Koch for being given the ball, driving forward and then looking to make those passes. But I think it's instructive that 
that was his role that was given to him rather than to Phillips because I think you know Koch that he he does have that ability to play those penetrative passes now maybe yeah, I mean yesterday it wasn't that important we were creating we had so much space down in the wide areas that it was fine for Phillips to to be pinging those crossfield balls but I do think there's a few there's a few th- um, moments in the game yesterday where he had the opportunity of going f- driving forward into space and then looking for a dangerous through ball and he didn't take it now that's that's fine um but I would like to see him trying that a little bit more. If he gets that into his game, I genuinely think he should be in the conversations about being the best, one of the best central defensive midfielders in the world. Um, so I, I caveat what I say with that. That's me being in, entirely picky. Um, but I think that the problem with Phillips is going to be that the the game that Leeds play is suited to his strengths. And I don't think that there'll be another team that he can move to that isn't a Bielsa team that will maybe suit him quite so much. So for him to succeed anywhere else, he's going to have to add that that sort of mid-range passing to his game where he is breaking lines. Um, and 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 if he can do that, then genu- generally genuinely be in that conversation. Um, so I, I, I hopefully I've caveated that enough so that people don't think that I'm saying that I don't think Calvin Phillips is good. Um, I, I genuinely do. And I think even having him in that conversation about being potentially one of the best um, defensive midfielders in the world is is um, testament enough to how, how how highly I regard him. Um, anyway, there's a bit of a sermon, so apologies about that. No, I enjoyed it. I thought he was going to say that he needs to score more goals. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this is if, if he starts scoring more goals, I think he'll genuinely be in the conversation about the best central defensive midfielders, you know, because that's what they do, isn't it? Central defensive midfielders. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. They do they score that, goals. Yeah, Graham Souness was notable for the number of goals that he scored in in, in the average season, wasn't he? <laughs> there we go. Anyway, this isn't the all Souness aren't we podcast, so let's let's move on gracefully and gratefully. Um, Rashad, with a question about um, Calvert-Lewin actually being kept quiet, which I think is a, a good question that, that we need to touch on. Joe, so while Richarlison and Rodriguez had chances, Calvert-Lewin was kept very quiet and almost neutered. How did we do this and was he the priority of those three to keep out of the game? I think watching Everton against Fulham the week before, um, a lot of Calvert-Lewin's chances were from Dinia basically pushing up on the left-hand side, playing in incredible balls, and Calvert-Lewin's encouraged to shoot first time. Um, I've read about how he's had those conversations with Ancelotti about him saying, you know, get a first-time shot away, you don't need to take a touch. Um, So obviously that was lacking yesterday um, because Dinu was missing, which is a a big part of Calvert-Lewin's game. Um, And I think another part of his game is the hold-up play and the knockdowns um, to the to Richarlison and Rodriguez who will look to get the second balls from big lofted goal kicks from Pickford for example um, and that wasn't really there yesterday I mean it, it may have been but this is just from memory I don't think that really happened that much whether it's that Richarlison and Rodriguez were too far away from him or whether they were just because they were being man-marked they weren't in the opportunity to get in that space so I think those two big parts of Calvert-Lewin's game just weren't there yesterday and I think that was a massive factor for me. I can't think of any open play headers really that he had um, and that's for me where he's at his most dangerous right when yes there was a couple of chances where he was forced out wide run he ran in behind Cooper and had a shot and then ran in behind Ailing and had a shot um, both of them were, I think quite difficult chances but he, the ones that you worry about with him is, is when the ball's being whipped in by Dinia and he's 
he's he's an interesting guy insofar as he's got like a body he's got he plays as though he doesn't have a body that would make him a physical striker but he has that body and he he has the ability to play that way as well and so he's sort of a really fearsome um proposal for any defender to face I thought we faced him fairly well yesterday yeah absolutely I think it, it, it's it's nothing more complicated than he's the sort of striker that needs a, a supply line um, they didn't have the player on the left hand side to provide that supply that they normally have and Iwobi can't wasn't able to get good balls in at any point and we made sure that no balls came in from the right hand side really of any note so I think we I think we we played that really well question from Captain Tricks about um, Robin Koch does Koch prefer playing against big guys who battle him versus mobile strikers? Thought he was very good against Calvert Lewin today. Um, Darren, what you what you make of that? Yeah, I thought I thought Koch was 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 fine. Um, I think I think by and large Cooper ended up picking up Calvert Lewin more than Koch did. But um, but yeah, I think he, he he's he's a, a big lad. Is Robin? He, he like he'll, he like likes a battle and likes a scrap and all the rest of it. But again, I I thought it was really notable with. With uh, with Cock, one of the things I really enjoy about him is that any time somebody's running at Ailing, you see Cock get himself into position to make sure that that if he does beat him, that he ain't going any further. And it's it's something that I've noticed right from minute one, and I, I really value value that about him. Yeah, I'm someone who's had queries about Robin Cock as a as a player for a long time. I mean, I watch um, Freiburg as a second team, so I've I've seen a lot of him for the last three seasons now. Um, and this style of play really does seem to suit him. Uh, he does have weaknesses, and I think we shouldn't pretend that he doesn't. But um, he's a player that I think can get rolled quite easily at times. But at the same time, you know, in, in a Bielsa system where he's expected to be proactive um, and, and make a nuisance of himself, it just works really well for him. Um, we've had questions about uh, Liam Cooper, which I think we should we should ask. Uh, Johnny Bradbon says, is Cooper good enough at this level? As soon as Llorente is fit, does he replace him? Uh, Joe, what do you make of that? For me, um, the short answer is yes, Cooper is good enough. Um, I wouldn't replace him with Llorente. Um I'm not saying he's one of the best centre-backs in the division. I'm not saying he'll, he'll, he'd will he get into any of the top six uh, sides centre-back pairings necessarily. Um, but I think for where we're at, I think for this season, the fact that he's taken us up um, as the captain um, and stepped up very well into the Premier League you know he's not done anything terrible um, I think he absolutely is good enough and I think if Lorente is going to come in and be part of this side uh, potentially it would be when we play a back three um, and we'd see we'd see lots of rotation going on with all the other positions because we've got we, we, we can play a back three as it is so um, plus I'm not convinced that Lorente even exists so there's that <laughs> there is that Joe, I didn't realise you were so sentimental about our captain. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, really. Um, or do I? I'm not sure. Let me think. Okay, so so the way I um, the way I view Liam Cooper, and this is not really based in in things that have happened yet this season, but it's just from watching him. He looks to me like he's someone who's playing on the very edge of his ability, like he's playing at 99% of his ability the whole time, and. Um, like there's no kind of headroom so as soon as he drops a few percent I, I think he's going to really struggle and I think he's going to make mistakes and I think he was exposed quite badly by uh, Calvert-Lewin yesterday at the point where Calvert-Lewin got in behind him um, c- 
because just just in terms of like mobility and pace, and I don't think Calvert Lewin's somebody who's particularly quick. Um, but but Cooper looked like he was dragging an invisible piano along behind him when he was trying to catch up with him. So I I, I do kind of worry about. I think he'll be fine this season. I think Cooper will be fine this season. Um, but I but I do also think that we might see the return of him making quite a few mistakes, which he's managed to cut out of his game in the last two seasons. Mm. It's just a hunch. It's not really based on any on on evidence particularly I'm just trying to think like the only mistake I can think of really this season that's led to a goal has been the, the Sterling goal yeah. versus City and you know it was a good finish and yeah he could have done better but it wasn't it wasn't like the sort of clangor that we've come to expect from from Cooper which is the you know those balls over the top yeah. defending backwards and 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 sort of getting a bit embarrassed that way so yeah I think he's been largely okay I I don't think that I think the problem with these sorts of questions is that the assumption is that Yorente is just going to be somehow like mind-bogglingly better than than Cooper yeah. and I think even the even the issues that you talk about with Cooper yesterday there was the chance the the Abdullah Decore chance where um Cooper got rolled and the ball went in behind and yeah I think everyone sort of latched onto that but I think you know if you have most other defenders in that situation I don't think they stop that yes if you have a slightly younger slightly quicker defender maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin looks a little less dangerous in that chance but I do think that yes Cooper did what he did he got back into this into position he 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 is tactically good enough even if he's maybe physically falling short occasionally but I I don't think that the that, that maybe Cooper is as bad as a lot of people seem to think this season. No, I don't. I don't think he's as bad as people are saying. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But I thought he was badly at fault for the Decore chance that that Melier saved. Um, and I think, I think, for, I think the thing that I'm thinking about really just kind of boils down to he doesn't he doesn't look composed in possession like he did at times in the Championship. He lo- he looks a bit hurried. He looks like he's um, likely to make a mistake from that point of view. And I, th- I think if his place is under threat this season, I don't think it's from Urente. I think it's from Stroik. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and like you say, I do think that like in terms of build-up now, his job is basically to just facilitate moving the ball yeah. to the uh, right-hand side. It seems to me anyway, we don't see many of um, many of those sort of pinged cross-field balls that we used to see from him. Well, we, we, there was a couple yesterday. But yeah, there were. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Dan Holdsworth, friend of the podcast, said, are we allowed to talk about Ailing's performance levels yet? I think we've been talking about Ailing's performance levels yeah. quite a lot. I assume he means this positively rather than negatively, whether or not, because maybe Ailing has dropped off a little bit since the beginning of the season, but I still think he's um, been fantastic. We've got a piece actually coming out on the website this week from Tom Alderson looking at Ailing's performances, so uh, that'll be good to to have a read of. Uh, anyone anyone want to add anything on Ailing? Uh, I thought I thought he was relatively poor against Arsenal, but I thought he was absolutely fine yesterday. I thought I thought he played well. I th- he. he- did lots of that neat and tidy interplay in and around our box to kind of move the ball out. Um, he, d- he defended reasonably well against a tricky opponent. Um, he got into some really dangerous positions, provided one great cross where Pickford made the made that fantastic save from Rafinha's header. I thought he was fine. And one last question from Martin Riley. Again, another friend of the podcast. Is Alioski winning you over at left-back yet? Yeah, I know you're not convinced by him. Joe, are you convinced by Alioski? I'm not sure I'm convinced by him at left back uh, permanently. I think having him there with Dallas also there, um, like I mentioned earlier, I think to cover, I think worked well yesterday. Um, but if I was going to take one player off and for Rodrigo, it would be Alioski, I think, um, because we know that Dallas can play there 
pretty comfortably as well. So I think he's had a great couple of games. He's he's not convinced me that he's our number one left back. Um, but yeah, he's done, he, he, he has done really well the past two games. I thought playing in that more advanced role yesterday, I thought his decision-making was markedly better than, than it sometimes is. He, he kind of used the ball in quite a simple way. He kept it moving. He, he was really good at the continuity stuff. And then obviously when we're out of possession, he's, he's really good in the press. Kind of works really hard to get, get back. He's a pain in the arse for anyone that he's playing against. So whilst I, I think that, you know, if next year we're still looking at Alioski being a kind of starting player at any point I'd be a bit more worried but I think I think for now he's doing the jobs that we're asking him to do in a in, a, in just in a really competent and fine way right positives plenty of positives from yesterday so what have we got Darren Melier <laughs> <laughs> predictably enough um no I I agree with you earlier what something you said earlier John that that he was brought into action too many times um I want to see my keeper make one decent save per game and and that that's fine but yesterday he, I thought he was you know by and large really solid I thought his his distribution was really good with one notable exception where he uh, gave the ball to to Rodriguez um the saves that he made were really crucial, particularly that first one, because I think if we go one nil down in that game, anything anything could happen. Um, and he's just just week on week, kind of proving how how good he is and and building on that potential that I think we've seen. Um, I thought um, I think Bamford was really good yesterday. I know he didn't score, but I thought I thought he put in a really great performance. I thought he he his interplay with Rafinha particularly in that first 20 minutes when Rafinha was playing out right, um, was was really good. And finally, I'm going to... I think it's the same three players I chose last week, actually. I think I think Rafinha was... <laughs> Rafinha was, was obviously amazing and, and, and got, the, got the first goal, but I'm, I'm more excited by him the more I see of him. Joe? Yeah, I think um, obviously the same, the same three for me were outstanding. We've mentioned a lot about Phillips. The only player I would add to my positive list um, is Paveda. Because I think when he's come on, he's he's looked really good. Um, he he took on two players. Uh, I think it was in added time. He took on two players and managed to nutmeg um, Delph and got us into a really exciting position that, as we said earlier, Costa should have finished first time. Um, but he's just looked great every time he's come on, and I think he's he's a fantastic young player, and I'd love to see more of him. Agreed. I will just add one more thing, which is uh, it was nice to see a new approach to three four three, and so uh, clearly Bielsa is thinking about how we can and deal with with the three four three. So hopefully we won't have so many issues with it if we come up against it again. In, well, we will come up against it again, but hopefully when that happens, we will have a, a better way of, of dealing with it. Um, right, looking forward. So I was trying to throw a little question in um, looking forward section these days. So Cameron Hyde says, are we any closer to settling on a starting eleven or simply a number ten? Could Rafinha play centrally with Click and Phillips, allowing one of our other attackers, Rodrigo Costa and Paveda, to start as well, or do you simply do you see uh, Rodrigo coming back into the eleven as a ten? Um, let's focus on the. Are we closer to a settled starting eleven? Um, we've talked about. Uh, Rodrigo, I think we we see his inclusion being tactical. When we play two eights, we'll probably play him and Click. Um, but what about this starting eleven? Do do we feel as though we have a settled starting eleven, Joe? No, I, I I don't think we have a settled starting eleven. I think it's like we say, um, you can rotate uh, tactically. I th- I thought actually before the last two games, I thought we were settling towards a starting eleven with Dallas at left back and Rodrigo as uh, a number ten, um, and then possibly playing four four two at times. And and now I actually feel like we're further away from it now that Alioski's put in two good performances. 
but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think it's great that um, players are stepping up and that Bielsa has lots of options to play with. I think we we kind of broadly know the basis of the, what what the team's going to be. We, we you know I think we can probably very successfully name nine out of the eleven every week. Um, I think I think Rafinha is nailing down that position through his two performances. So I think you can probably make that ten at ten out of the eleven. So yeah. it's it's just whether it's just whether we play Rodrigo or not really seems to be yeah. the kind of the key decision that's been made each week. Four one four one. We're bringing in. Rodrigo for Alioski, basically. Yeah. I think that's that's what happens. And then if we play anything non-standard, then there's the potential that Alioski could come in yeah. and someone could drop out. Right. Well, there we go. We've covered everything that you'd need to know about the uh, Everton game. Uh, a great result that it was. Looking forward, we have Chelsea on Saturday evening this week, uh, 8 o'clock kickoff, which will be interesting. It was good to have a game under the lights. Uh, there's no 23s game for a while, uh, not till I think around the 13th of December. So we've got a bit of a break on that front. Um, so yeah, that's the, the end of this podcast. If you like our content and you want to get more of it, then we do have a Patreon channel, which can be found over at www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? Patreon is a channel which allows us to give subscribers uh, bonus material. Basically, we have podcasts up there. I will be getting out a video analysis of the game yesterday, which has got plenty of material to attack. Um, that will be up probably Monday maybe Tuesday. Um, we'll see how that goes. If that sounds interesting to you, then do head over to the Patreon and, and check it out. Three people who have done that recently are Sam Day, Simon Ossett and Niall Keller. So thank you guys for getting involved. But all that remains for me to do is to say thank you to Darren. Thank you. And thank you to Joe. Cheers. And we'll be back sometime this week with a preview episode. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.